evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. We hope everybody's doing well out there. We've got a great show tonight. A complete character uh, who I had the pleasure of meeting in December at uh, his apartment in Greenwich Village. John Cruth is a musician, a writer, a record producer, and a, a true beatnik. He's written seven books, including To Live is to Fly, The Ballad of the Late Great Towns Van Zant, which won the 2008 ASCAP Dean's Taylor Award for Best Musical Biography. And uh, he's also written for the New York Times, Rolling Stone, The New York Observer, uh, Spin Magazine, Frets and Relics, among others. As a performing musician, he has performed with Allen Ginsberg, Laurie Anderson, Sam Shepard, The Violent Femmes, Rick Danko and Garth Hudson, uh, Hudson from the band, and a f- uh, fellow we're going to be talking about today, a fellow by the name of John Prine, who we wish well. Anyway, all the way from his home in Los Angeles, Mr. John Cruz. Johnny, how are you doing today? Well, I can't complain, man. <laughs> I can't complain. We're doing okay, and uh, I mean it's a it's a crazy, sad time. But we're just trying to stay creative here and and uh, putting out a, a good, positive message for everybody. That's right. Well, John, you uh, uh, you spent some time in Minneapolis back in the seventies. Sure did. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, well, it was uh, the last. It was the last draft of uh, the Vietnam War that I was uh, hoping to dodge, <laughs> and uh, I had grown up in New Jersey, right outside of New York City, and I was looking for a place to go to college, and I met a really cool guy there named Cork Markeski, who had a band once called the Fifty Foot Hose from San Francisco, and he was a <laughs> neon kinetic. Uh, a sculptor, and I really liked him, and Minneapolis was only a couple hours from the Canadian border in case I had to flee, because <laughs> my number was only fi- number 52. Four hours to so, be exact, but yeah. So I was a little freaked out at that point, and um, uh, so a young kid in art school, and uh, living on the south side there over by the art school, and uh, it was a really great time, and I met all kinds of wonderful, interesting people, including Robert Piercig, who wrote The Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Uh, he was in the neighborhood, and um, it was just a, you know, it was a great time, and so much amazing music happening, happening in Minneapolis at that time. And of course, you met uh, my really good buddy, Aldo Maroney, as well. Well, Aldo Maroney, he was just, he was working at the Black Forest Inn then as sure. a chef and, and he was sneaking us, uh, some, uh, potato salad and <laughs> bread and stuff out the back door when we were so broke that summer that Nixon resigned. Best, uh, best potato salad in town. Oh man. <laughs> you know, my very first book, my very first book was called something like, oh God, I can't even remember now. It was a book of poetry, very influenced by Richard Brodigan and Larry Ferlinghetti. It was called something about slow cigarettes and forgotten truths. That's okay. what it's called. And it had a photograph of the, of the, of the piano at the Black Forest Inn on the cover. You know, my uh, uh, good friend James Reggae uh, has had a long time uh, love, 
of his life uh, named Erica Kristen. Her family owns that place. Wow. So, uh, and occasionally Jimmy bartends. Jimmy's a great abstract expressionist. And, uh, yeah, so that, uh, that's that. I know that corner well. I used to live on Ridgewood Avenue right behind, uh, oh, Rudolph's yeah. Barbecue. I lived on Ridgewood Avenue too. Oh, once. you're kidding me. Where, what was no. your address? Oh, yeah, I remember. Mine was 441, apartment 34. <laughs> obviously, obviously, Kruth, you have a lot better memory than you do. Well, so, so tell yeah. us about uh, uh, a little bit about the music you were uh, grooving on and playing uh, when you were here in Minneapolis in the 70s. Well, I met a, a really, um, um, I don't even know what to call him. He was sewing glass to wood uh he was a fetishist there was a group called the midwest fetish association <laughs> that made these really crazy fetishes and aldo would remember them kathleen volp and sunny bach and uh and this guy named glenn wolf and he played really good leo cocky style guitar bottleneck and and a really good guitar player and i was deep into the mandolin and uh harmonica i've always been uh uh something of a multi-instrumentalist and um and we started playing as a duo and and playing around you know a Kaufman Union got at the extempore a couple times uh New Riverside Cafe and and then we went to see Elvis Costello on his first uh tour of the states when he played in Minneapolis where was that where was that gig Oh, come on, man. I, you know, somebody yesterday got mad at me that I couldn't remember who the drummer was on this one, on this one tune that we cut. And I said, you know, I got hit by a car on Houston, uh, about like five years ago. I'm using that as my excuse. Okay, great. Well, we'll you know, and, and I, and I have, my memory hasn't been so great since okay, then. Okay. We'll, so, we'll, we're, we'll buy it. We're, yeah. We're in a pandemic. I, just, I, I can't remember, honestly. <laughs> There's just too much stuff jammed in this little brain of mine. Well, we're going to be playing some of your music off your last cool. solo record uh, uh, that you recorded in Italy. But uh, just kind of give uh, you I a- just wanted to say about what happened, what totally changed us overnight was that we saw Elvis Costello and we walked out of there completely like, you know, we had been – zapped right and looked at each other and went okay well i guess it's time to put down the acoustics and we picked <laughs> up the electrics right. and we started a band called the whirl and dervishes that played at the artist quarter and a little wherever we could play at art openings we were definitely you know uh, we played at the art school quite a bit and and uh and we started this band called the Whirl and Dervishes and played around town for a while with that. And everybody wanted to move to New York because we thought we were hot. They thought we were hot. Right. And wanted to move to New York and play at CB's and Max's and all this stuff. And I was seeing that I grew up there and I had, you know, been out there. I was like, dudes, we're going to get our, you know, we're going to be, they're going to mop the floor with us out there. <laughs> no, 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 no. And it's like, so, you know, one by one, everybody started moving out to, uh, out to, uh, New York. And so eventually I moved back out to New York around after I went to Berlin with Mark Heskey in 78, I went to New York and, uh, and that's when I, 
just stayed in New York for that must days. have been an incredible time to be uh, in New York City, the Lower East Side, CBGBs. There was such energy going on there. It always was, though. You know, yeah. I mean, I I grew up in Jersey, half out, half hour outside the city. My temple was the Fillmore, right? And so, by the time I was fifteen years old, I was going to see. Tim Buckley, Lightning Hopkins, uh, Big Brother, uh, uh, Grateful Dead, whoever was playing at the Fillmore that I could afford to go. Uh, I saw Santana's first show at the Fillmore, uh, whatever I could afford to go to because my parents were getting divorced at the time and I was the youngest. So nobody was really paying much attention to what I was doing. Right. So I was going into the city, saving up my, oh, I think it was three bucks for two bands and five bucks for three bands and people would be standing out on the corner going Bill you're a capitalist pig man (laughs) the music should be for free right 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 and he would say yeah you're gonna miss me one day right I saw a Grateful Dead show in the summer I graduated in 74 Third week of June down in, uh, I believe it was Des Moines, Iowa, at the state fairgrounds. And Bill was uh, walking around with his little top hat and, uh, yeah. and you know, the king of rock and roll that he was. And uh, on one of the breaks, some farm boy flipped him the bird. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a big farm boy. But I remember Bill just threw his hat down and just jumped right in and just went. I, we couldn't see by that time because uh, uh, all you could see was dust, you know. But I th- yeah. my money would have been on Bill Graham to kick the uh, of course. farm boys. Bill was a Russian but, immigrant yeah. who took no, you know, flack. Yeah, and escaped the Holocaust. Yeah. He's an amazing guy. So we owe see. a lot to Bill. Absolutely. Yeah, I had the pleasure of meeting him in New York City. I cold called him at, wow. uh, at his office on 64th Street. I just knocked on the door. Wow. And it was cool. It was hit. Remember those little label makers in the 70s and the late 60s? Oh, yeah, sure. So it said Winterland Productions. I knocked on the door and he answered. He was vacuuming the office. Oh, God. And he so dug the fact that, you know, I had uh, the cojones to just cold call him and bring him my, I gave him my single of 59 coal mines. And, uh, I found cool. out a friend of, friend of his that worked for him was from Minneapolis that, uh, he dug the song, but he really just dug the fact that I, you know, I cold yeah, called well, him, you know? Right. Bill would dig that. He would, you know. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, uh, the first tune we're going to hear. Which tune are you playing first? Let's see. We are going to play. Forever ago. The album was recorded uh, two years ago. Yeah, uh, forever ago. In February. Okay. You're going to start with the song Forever Ago? Yeah. Okay. So uh, Forever Ago is uh, uh, like a kind of a Dylan-esque, Leonard Cohen-esque waltz uh, that I wrote on the mandolin after I had been uh, really sick in Croatia. I got really sick when I was uh, in Croatia and in hospital, which was a bizarre experience because I barely speak uh, any Croatian, and my sweetheart uh, was in L.A., who uh, is Croatian-American, um, and she was in L.A., and she couldn't come to Croatia. 
Croatia because her father was ill at the time. So uh, both of the men in her life were were down for the count, and um, and so by the time I got out of the hospital and I was convalescing in in bed over there, we have a small apartment in Split, which is such a beautiful town. Um, I had a mandolin with me, and uh, I guess I was in a rather nostalgic mood looking back at my life and yearning for my sweetheart. Uh, uh, so that's what where this song came from. All right. Uh, we're going to listen a little bit. Uh, recorded in Italy with a, an Italian band with a wonderful mandolin player uh, named uh, Claudio Scarabattini uh, and uh, uh, Jalou uh, on the uh, accordion. It, this is a beautiful Italian band. And Massimo Liberatore, at the very end, you'll hear his voice. Beautiful. We've got John Cuth. Uh, Artist, musician, cool cat, complete beatnik, and uh, a weirdo, wild man. I love him deeply. I got a complete chance to meet him. Complete beatnik. Complete. <laughs> Batteries included, Daddy. Exactly. And we'll, we'll have Johnny <laughs> on for the, for the whole show tonight. Just a little bit of his music. The girl with the red hair and the red dress is dancing. She's dancing in a trance on a hot July night While the drummer is a-pounding out the poison That burns through his veins He caught from a spider bite Under the full moon they played for some spare change In a little town square where I met you Outside the museum, the tourists have gathered, they wait patiently for the time to come, for the guards to throw open the vaults of a Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzer. We hope you're enjoying a brand new show here. We've had to run a couple of reruns as we're getting this whole new uh, routine together uh, as we get through this uh, pandemic, which hopefully will end uh, sooner than later. But my guest, who I had a, a chance to meet, I actually met him on Facebook via our mutual friend, Pat Thomas, fellow by the name of John Cruth. Uh, he's uh, we're generally about the same age, and uh, we have a lot of uh, the same kind of likes. So, John, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, this record, this Italian record. How are those musicians doing? Are you in touch with them? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I uh, chat with Claudio, uh, you know, four or five times a week. He is such an amazing musician. To me, he is like my Gil Evans. If I was Miles, he is my Gil. He right. is like, he is the coolest arranger, um, collaborator that I've, uh, that I've had in, in that he is classically trained. He's a uh, choir master uh he's 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 really something and and um i've never been able to like well well one of the tracks on the album has the bc choir on it i would say that was about 40 singers and uh and he he put a full choir behind me wow. which was really quite an experience oh, no to doubt. sing with 
it was just an amazing experience because we sang it. We did the song. It's a song called Christmas Eve. And we did the song at, at a monastery. And I had to sing over uh, a choir of at least 40 singers that were better singers than I was. <laughs> <laughs> I know that so feeling. You, I know that what feeling. What a humbling experience, <laughs> man. You know, they were so sweet because they really liked the song and they were like, oh, you know, here's this guest artist from New York and da 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 da. Right, right, right. But man, I was, I was the low man on the totem pole oh, with that, funny. In, in that one. But you know, you, you, when you gotta reach, you gotta reach, yeah, absolutely. you know? And it's a great experience for you to do that. So um, they're all doing okay so far. They're in Umbria, which is like very central, uh, north of um, Rome, about 75 to 100 miles. This whole experience was very much in a weird way my Bob Dylan and the band experience because these guys had been playing together for years, 15, 20, 25 five years some of these guys have been playing together right and we had uh uh jaloo's house uh the, the accordion player uh we were uh his mother would start cooking in the morning for us. Wow. We would rehearse. Uh, we would go upstairs and have an incredible lunch and then chill out for like an hour after the digest for a while. Right. They'd go down into the recording studio and cut the music. And it was really, uh, Claudio's the only one that spoke, it speaks English. Uh, the, the rest of the guys, you know, I mean, hey, when you're Italian, why would you want to speak English? Right. You know, and they live up in the, up in the Umbria, I believe means wooded. It, it's up in the woods. It's like the parallel, it was the parallel of, of, uh, my Bob Dylan and the band experience. Wow. Here were these guys that had a whole sound and scene together. They usually back up, uh, Massimo Liberatore, who was the singer at the very end who did the incantation at the end of Forever Ago. Beautiful voice, great songwriter, loves Woody Guthrie. And um, they usually back him up. And I had opened for him at a show, and they really dug me, and I really dug them. And that was it. We just started playing together. And uh, I played on Massimo's album, and then in short time, they just said, hey, why don't we make your album? So after I finally got better, uh, when, I was in, when I was ill in Croatia, I had written... Uh, a bunch of songs. It just came to me like in a major fever, you know, uh, staying in bed for a month, month and a half. And, uh, I, I had, uh, cranked out most of the songs on that album. And then, uh, and when I was well enough, I went back and stayed in a monastery and recorded this, this every day. Uh, Jalou's mom would make incredible food for us and we would go, we would rehearse and then we would go down to the studio and just cut the songs. And it was just like, wow, it was a dream. You know, uh, it sounds like a cliche when, uh, when you say music's the universal language, but as you know, uh, it truly is. I play uh, in Siberia, Nova Sibir, Siberia. A friend of mine owned a club over there and flew me over to play for seven nights. And I played two wow. nights with this jazz band. And then the uh, other f five nights, they had their uh, in-house blues band. And these guys, if you listen to them sing and play, you go, man, these are a bunch of really cool 
young white guys from Chicago. So I, I, got off, I got off the plane. He said, you want to go rest? You want to go to the club? I said, we are going to the club. So I listened to his set. And I, man, I plugged in and we just, you know, we just played Muddy Waters and John Lee Hooker and wow. Albert wow. King. The and, universal language, yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And so they're singing, right? So we, we go on a break and I said, man, I said, you guys are amazing. I said, where did you learn all this stuff? None of them spoke English. Yeah, they, yeah. They all yeah. sang phonetically there. <laughs> and, and perfect English, but none of them spoke it. It blew my mind. Right, right. It blew right. my mind. Okay, so really quick. I was in uh, Morocco in the late 90s, and um, uh, this guy, these two guys come walking up to me, uh, Mutt and Jeff, this little short guy, all like in a, in a, in a, like a polyester jacket and, and, and tie. And then this tall guy in like uh, a fez and a jalaba, the, and, and, uh, and the short guy, uh, is doing all the talking. He wants to talk to me very much about, uh, 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 F's, F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, uh, William Faulkner, please, and uh, <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. And I'm like, yeah, I read all that stuff in high school. Sure, we could talk about it, uh, you know, American literature of the 20th century. And uh, so we start talking about that. And the tall guy reaches into his jalaba and he pulls out this little piece of paper on, on which is written in perfect handwriting, John Lee Hooker, Lightning Hopkins, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. <laughs> and I go, yeah, yeah. And I reach in my pocket and I pull out a harmonica and I start blowing on the harmonica. And the guy looks at me like he was stung in the face by a bee. <laughs> and he turns around and he runs away. <laughs> and the a short guy, I, 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 I turned to him and I go, wow, I hope I didn't insult your friend. He goes, yes, uh, Mr. Faulkner, he has very long sentences that seem to run on and on and on. And so he wants to keep talking to me about that stuff, right? In the meantime, uh, uh, Jeff, the tall guy, comes running back. He's got a kid with him. And this kid is carrying under his arm a soccer ball. And hes they come running up to me, and the kid runs right up to me, and he looks me right in the face, and he sticks the soccer ball in between his legs, and then he starts to, like, play like, like he's playing a, a conga drum on the soccer ball. <laughs> and I take out the harmonica, and I start jamming with him. And that, my friend, right. is the international language of the blues to begin with. Absolutely. Uh, we've got John Cruth on the show for, uh, all night tonight. We're going to listen to a song. It's called Mr. Crow, and we'll be back after these messages. Could it be my baby flying home to me? 
Could it be my baby flying home to me? Hey, yeah, big black crow, a big black crow. talking about my song Jack Ruby because of course Dylan just came out with that 17 minute opus uh, yeah. called Murder Most Foul kind yeah. of based around the day that JFK was assassinated and you know real panoramic look at American culture through the Phenomenal. Rand, through the Rand McNally of Bob Dylan's uh, musical and cultural <laughs> mind God. but uh, anyway you told me a phenomenal story <laughs> That has something to do with Jack Ruby and a guy you met in India. Yeah. Tell us that story. It was just, it blew my mind. All right. Um, I'm, a friend of mine, uh, is, his name is Radhanath Swami. He's a, uh, the Maharaj of Chaupati is his real title. And, uh, he's a spiritual teacher in the, um, Hare Krishna uh, lineage and uh, a really beautiful, sweet, brilliant cat from Chicago who grew up in Chicago loving Paul Butterfield and the Rolling Stones and uh, and played a bit of harmonica himself. And um, when I got to know him over in Mumbai, uh, he hadn't played harmonica in a long time, though he plays... Uh, really great harmonium and he leads kirtans and he's a really good singer and and all of that and so we started talking about the old days and uh and he's a few years older than i am and we wound up of course talking about that day in infamy right when uh kennedy was shot and uh where were you and all of that and of course we talked about seeing the beatles on television and everything and he said well i had an amazing thing happen to me actually uh when uh 
right after the assassination of Jack Kennedy, and we were in the in the living room all watching the TV, me and my brothers, and in Chicago. Um, in Chicago, yeah. And he said we were just, you know, sitting there in front of the television set, uh, when they were marching, uh, Lee, Oz- Lee Harvey Oswald out. And, uh, Jack Ruby popped out of the corner of the television set and shot him. And just as Jack Ruby appears, his mother says, isn't that Jack? Isn't that Jack Ruby? And the father says, oh, yeah, he's always getting into all kinds of trouble. And the mother's saying, oh, poor Marge, I can't believe it. This is just terrible. And and, and Richie, which was his name then, Radhanath's name at that point was Richie. And Richie is watching his parents who know Jack and Marge. Ruby as the as the assassin assassination of Lee Harvey Oswald is happening in real time. Wow, Jack, and their their name, of course, uh, was Jack Rubenstein, which is uh, was his God given name. But uh, that is right. That is an amazing story. Really, when you think about that, uh, I remember watching it with my mother on an old Sylvania yellow wood panel TV. Wow, uh, it was really the first reality television show. It sure was. You know? Yeah, I was, I spit my high C right out, you know? I, I was sitting there, I was sitting there with peanut butter and jelly and a high C, you know? I mean, I just like, poo! We had a black and white RCA, you know? It was like the size of a refrigerator or something. I dropped my RC Cola. Yeah. <laughs> and Moon Pie. And <laughs> Yeah, I John, mean, wow, John. Kutz, but you've... you know, that really had an impact on on our generation. Uh, I believe psychologically in a huge way. I'm not sure if America ever really recovered from it. No, I don't think so. I think that was really one of the one of the deepest cuts for certainly of our generation of that of those baby boomers. You know, John Cruth, you've performed with uh, uh, just some amazing. American musicians and poets and artists, Allen Ginsberg, Laurie Anderson, Arnon Wine, Sam Shepard, Violent Femmes, Rick Danko, Garth Hudson, The Blues Project. Uh, the A Puppets. lot of those are because of Hal Wilner. Um, I met Hal Wilner when I was interviewing Hal, the, the incredible uh, producer, of yeah. course. And, and um, I, I interviewed him on a book about Rasan Rolling Kirk, my first book and um uh, when i met hal he came over to this moroccan shop where i also met uh my wife of 24 years and um uh, on prince street and uh i told these guys i said now look this guy who's coming over he said where do you want to do the interview and i said my my office is the basement of a moroccan uh import shop uh over on uh prince street so he said great i'll come over and we'll do the interview about Rasan there and i said to these guys i said now listen this guy's a really great producer marianne faithful tom waits you know lou reed all kinds of incredible people he's worked with and when he comes we should throw down like you know make a tagine and have some food and throw down some great music for him when he walks in the door and they're like cool
cool. So when when Hal came walking in, I mean, the band was already playing. It was right. like he was on his own, you know, TV show in in Morocco or right. something, you know. And we did the interview there, and about. Three nights later, uh, he calls me up and he says, uh, Cruz, uh, I'm doing this thing with Alan over at St. Mark's Church, you know, next week. And I was wondering if you could bring your Moroccan band over there. And I go, Alan? He goes, Ginsburg. I'm like, oh, cool. And so we went over and the, the guys put down rugs and lanterns and the whole thing. And we backed up Alan while he um, recited his uh, poetry that he wrote in Tangier. Wow. And from that point on, I had a really good relationship with uh, Hal Wilner, who has uh, was his musical director for about four or five shows, and um, that's how I met Lori and worked with Lori Anderson when we did the Jack Kerouac haiku show. And um, so a lot of the people that I wound up working with was because of Hal Wilmer. You know, I've got to ask you, and we've got about five minutes left, John. First of all, before I forget, how can people track you down, listen to your music, uh, buy a book? Uh, uh, contact me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook a lot. Okay. Um, there's a there's a ton of stuff on on YouTube. But right now, JohnCruz.com. I I forgot to pay my uh, my little you know my rent. And uh, it, it became, I tell you, complete beatnik batteries included. <laughs> it became a a German dating service. <laughs> Which is better than what happened to Violent Femmes when they forgot to pay theirs. It became a porn site. <laughs> well, you know, my uh, my harmonic player and I, Sonny Earl, have a site called paulandsunny.com. There's also a Paul and Sonny that are these two young, handsome gay TV stars. Okay. <laughs> so occasionally people confuse us. But uh, anyway, I know that's just the, the netherworld that is the Internet. Now we've got four minutes left, John Cruz. I want to talk about uh, America's one of America's greatest songwriters who is, uh, I guess he's in stable condition from COVID-19, but you've worked with him. Tell us, uh, tell us, a John, Love that, man. tell us a John Prine story. Oh God, a John Prine story. Okay. So uh, I opened for John Prine at the Avalon theater in uh, Milwaukee. This must've been about 1992, I would say. And uh, afterwards we go over to the Hyatt. Uh, he's got a bunch of people, you know, a throng following him over to the Hyatt. We walk in, um, he's buying drink or, or the Marriott. I think it was, uh, he bought, he started, buying drinks for everybody he's standing at the bar and he's looking up at the television set and david letterman is on the ta- uh, on the tv and letterman has the crusher on as oh, his nice. guest and john kind of cocks his head and squints his eyes looking at the television set like he's uh, peter falk in colombo right. And he's looking up at the TV set, and the crusher says to David Letterman that that um, uh, Hulk Hogan is a pussy. <laughs> 
And so, okay, about one minute later, Hulk Hogan and his entourage comes walking in the door. <laughs> and Hulk comes right up to the bar, and John now looks really small next to yeah. Hulk Hogan. Yeah. You know? And he turns to Hulk and he cocks his head and he squints his eye and he, he looks up to Hulk and he says, uh, uh, Mr. Hogan, uh, can I call you Hulk? And he's like, yeah. And he said, well, just a minute ago, uh, the crusher was on uh, uh, David Letterman there, and he called you, uh, well, he called you a pussy. And Hulk Hogan takes his fist and, bam, hits the bar, and all the drinks, like, jump up in the air. And uh, and he looks at John like he's going to pick him up over his head and throw him across the room. And uh, and John goes, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was it was the crusher. It was the crusher. And, and then Hulk starts to smile. Big grin comes across his face. Everybody chills out. Okay. It's just a joke, right? And about one minute after that, uh, Joan Jett walks in the room. Wow. And because it's, you know, it's quitting time. It's like one in the morning or right. something like that. And everybody who was in Mil- Milwaukee that night is over at the Marriott. So it's like Joan Jett comes in with her group of, of, of people. And John turns to me and goes, John, who is that? I said, man, that's Joan Jett. He goes, well, you want to introduce me to her? I said, well, I don't think she's going to be that interested in you. You know, and he, he, he goes, oh, come on, introduce me to her. Well, Joan walks up to the bar and John says, pardon me, ma'am, but have you heard about Jesus? <laughs> and she looks at him like a some something slimy just crawled up her leg. And he says, I mean, Jesus, the missing years. And then he starts <laughs> to recite his poem to her. And, you know, when I went to Minneapolis College of Art and Design, I was a photo major. Of course, I didn't have a camera. Right, right. <laughs> so that was a that was a bright moment of being on the road and with with John. Uh, uh, I also had a, a, another one that was really hilarious. We were playing the Oshkosh Opera House, and I, I opened th- for 30, him. Do it in thirty seconds. Okay, I opened for him. He calls me out for his uh, his encore of Paradise. And uh, he says, uh, sing one. And uh, I don't know the words. And so I look at him and I play the mandolin solo. And afterwards, he says to me, God damn, man, you know, the entire opera house filled with people. Everybody knows the words of that song. And I picked the one person who didn't know the words. <laughs> and that's my guest, John Crute. John, it's been an amazing uh, night. You and Marilyn stay safe out there in Los Angeles. And we will definitely be in touch. And uh, thanks for the these great stories and your and your great vibe. God is bless you. Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. I would like to debut a song I wrote and recorded last week. You can find it on YouTube. It's called You Can't Be Brave If You're Not Scared. So this is going to be the international debut of this song. I hope you enjoy it. Well, the day is dark, but the night is darker. The honeybee stays in its hide. 
Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metz, engineered by Brett Johnson. We'd like to thank our guest, John Kruth. I want to give you all the best uh, positivity going out there to all of you. To stay strong during these times, remember to wash your hands. Follow me at paulmetza.com. If you're a Facebook buddy, I'm going to be reading from my book, Blue Guitar Highway, starting in a couple nights. If you want to support the show, my Venmo account is Paul 
dash Metza. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. The power will fall.